I want to uh, ask you to, um, if you have received your bulletin, uh, your handout on experiencing experiences that demand a verdict, that's the sermon outline for today. Um, how many of you have ever heard of Josh McDowell's, it's a evidence that demands a verdict. In fact, he was an atheist, I see some hands going up, he was an atheist who uh, went on a, uh, he was a pretty predominantly a, a science guy that went out on a probability and statistical evaluation to look at all the stuff in the scriptures, all the promises of the scripture, and to prove that they were incorrect. So he took all the prophecies, the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, Old Testament over 2,500 years, 66 different books, loaded them down, probabilistic statistics, and he didn't even get halfway through it. And when he ran the statistics, he said, I'd have to be a fool to believe that there was no Jesus. It's just impossible. I mean, 10 to the 44th or 10 to the 40th probability. Um, so basically, it's, it's... So he basically gave it up and said, look, and uh, I remember dealing with someone who was really struggling with faith. He was a kind of a science nerd. So I went and got my two volumes of Josh McDowell's evidence. I said, here, read it. And he did. He, he came back months later. He goes, okay, I'm in. You know, so it's like, wow. Well, this morning, um, I felt there was, how many of you had experiences in God? If there isn't a hand up, um, wow, I, I would be surprised. Um, We've all had experiences in God, but there's this point where we recognize the experience or the quote-unquote coincidence in God. This is not a coincidence. I don't know how long it took you to get there. Some of you know my story. Um, the Apostle Paul's story was, right, he was a zealot. On the, uh, he had all the knowledge of his head. He'd been with but the best training. Gamal was his trainer. He had gone. He was actually slaughtering Christians, locked them up. And you know the story, on the road to Damascus, he gets visited by the living Christ and asks him when he knocks him to the ground and he's blinded, which would kind of get your attention at that moment, right? Sat in blindness for three days. But at that point, he said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And I'm sure that that revelation of, oh boy, you mean he's real. <laughs> yeah, you're blind, sitting here, knocked you on um, your anointing, and, and at that point, you're wondering what it is that, um, that you did wrong. But God in his grace, he said, he sends a, a believer, since go lay hands on Paul, I have uh, much for him to do. I will show him much he will suffer for me. And so he goes, lays hands on him, scales fall off his eyes, he's baptized in the Holy Ghost, and you know the rest of most of the New Testament written by the apostle. Well, in my case, I was uh, 22 years old, that right? Yeah, 22 years old. And uh, my mom had done a pretty good job of instructing. I was um, confirmed in the Methodist church. I had knowledge of God, but I can't say that I had the fullness of God, the understanding of God. I had not uh, purposefully remembered ever walking an aisle. And uh, when my daughter Sarah, where's Sarah? She's back here. When she was nine months old, um, she had a life-threatening event occur. And through a word of knowledge, which I didn't believe even uh, existed, didn't know what that was, through the word of knowledge in a, in a meeting, a uh, pastor stopped his sermon and proclaimed that there was a young child being healed of an intestinal disorder right now. My wife, who had gotten saved a few weeks earlier in the Catholic Charismatic Church during the Jesus movement, Father Bertolucci uh, was in the, up in the north and 
She had come back from uh, Mass one night, uh, come back from, actually had been to Mass in the morning, came back from the charismatic prayer meeting in the evening and said, I got saved, Tom. At which point I said, look, and my mom has handled that stuff and her stuff that she went through. Um, you handle Sarah's sickness your way, I'll handle it my way. As a nuclear science, I figured science would heal her. Well, that didn't work. And when the doctor came to us and proclaimed she'd been in the hospital being intravenously fed, they couldn't figure out why she could not digest food. And then my wife comes home and declares Sarah's been um, going to be healed. And we go to this meeting. This declaration comes out of the pastor's mouth, and she was healed. So would you call that an experience, a coincidence, praying mother, praying grandmother, a wife who's in soul? I don't know. All I know is I had my Damascus Road experience. And uh, if you stop and you think about all of your experiences, it says that no man, no woman comes to him unless he draws them, right? And so that's in John. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. Actually, John 6.44 says this, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. God wants none to perish, correct? You can read that in Scripture in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, it is the, the God desires none to perish, but are there people perishing? Yes. We went over this last week about free will. It is desires of God that none should perish, but he gives you free will. And we read that in Deuteronomy 30, that you've been given a choice, and all heaven and earth will witness the choice that you make. And so there's this drawing, these experiences, all these revelations that God brings, coincidences of God, that oftentimes in our unbelief we dismiss. But God is drawing them, drawing you, bringing the circumstances, bringing the coincidence in your life, so we come to the place with, there must be a God. But it still requires that absolute surrender. And so, how many draws and how many pulls of the Holy Spirit does it take for us to believe? You know, when, and I believe this, when, um, when we get on the other side, whether it's the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment, it, it says... It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There'll be a point where we will be without excuse, right? We'll, we'll stand before him in that court of heaven. They will call your name forth because every name has been recorded in the book. In fact, it's plural, books. So I believe there's, books of, there's the book of works. There's the book of salvation. The book will be open and there'll be that recording that is declared actually in Malachi chapter 3 where he says there's a record, a stenographer in heaven who keeps a record of all those who meet and declare and love to know his name. And he says, and on that day I will show you who are my children and who are not my children. That's a really sobering set of scriptures. But there'll be that point where you'll stand before him. Your name will be called up in the rolls. You'll stand there. There'll probably be this huge computer thing in heaven. Brrr, and your name will be called up. And all of your experiences, all the angelic presence, all the people who witnessed, all the things that you went through that will be without excuse. Amen? Because he's a just God. And so there'll be this place will be without excuse. And all those places where, Lord, if you wanted to judge me for that, and I believe there'll be these huge empty places like the big eraser in the sky where I committed this horrible deed and 
There's an erase there. It's actually removed by the blood of Jesus. And you, the Father will look through it and see, he can't see through the blood of Jesus. And we'll be there. That's why I believe those elders fall on their face. Holy, holy, holy. Because why? Because they know of what we deserved and yet by the grace of the one who is. That's just good news. So the question is, I want to take us deeper because I believe if you're not born again, you need to come. Come and get born again before you leave. Our ministry team will pray for you. Or if you've fallen away, you're in a backslidden state and you know where you are, come at the end of service and just settle the deal. Close that down. It's that place of repentance. There is no more condemnation. But I want to go deeper in the experiences that demand a verdict. How many of us are battling through situations, unanswered prayers, waiting, how long, oh God, how long, oh God, before you do X, Y, and Z? I don't understand why this occurred. Yesterday at the funeral, I, I told the family, the six children who are trying to understand why dad, and why this, and I said, stop trying to answer that question. There's no upsides to try to understand that. Just believe and put that in the mystery of God. Put it in his hand. Trust that the Lord is a good and loving God. Over and over again, we sang that this morning, God is good. And those are things that I don't have to have all the answers, and you don't have to have all the answers. In fact, we're not big enough and smart enough to have all the answers. That's why he's God and we're not. But there's this place experientially that God wants us to move deeper into Will you trust me even when this doesn't make sense or I haven't answered the question the way you thought I should answer your question? It didn't work out. How many, stop here for a minute. How many of you had expectations, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go to this school. Are you working in the place that you thought you'd work in? You're married to the person you thought you'd, the number of children that you expected to have or not have. I mean, which one of these worked out just as you had planned it? I'd be really interested to have you come. Because if anybody ever, oh, you'll be a pastor doing this. Say what? In fact, my mother, who had the revelation 25 years before I decided to be, walk in this, she, she wrote it in her journal, Tom would be a pastor. But she knew if she told me, I'd probably run. And she's probably right. So when I called her up and she was in Virginia, she said, I believe the Lord's called me into full-time ministry. And Steve Mattis off me. She goes, yeah, I know. I'll get you the journal entry from 25 years ago. I said, Mom, that's just nutty, right? But how much of what we thought or planned for has really ever happened? He wants to move us into a place where all of our doubt and our fears, the things that we think would, shouldn't happen, that have happened, he wants to move us into an experience with him, based on your history, that demands a verdict that he's good. That's where he's taken us, I believe. So let's look at, and I want to use some scriptures that, um, I like it when, when our fellow believers blew it. And then we can say, well, man, there's grace for me, right? So why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke's gospel, Dr. Luke, we studied this for about six months, and before that we studied, uh, the year before we studied the, the book of Acts for another six months, and uh, Dr. Luke, I love his thoroughness. And so he writes to us, you probably have read about the walk to Emmaus. 
Well, I just saw some things in this this week. The Lord, Holy Spirit just draw me, drew my attention to. In Luke chapter 24, and let's begin in verse 13. To set the stage, the Christ has been crucified. And the resurrection has not been revealed yet. But there is evidence of something going on. Luke 24, 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed the things Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. That's an interesting verse. Verse 16, but God kept them from recognizing him. Now, we do know that they were believers. They had seen him before. Now, he's in his resurrected body, but we'll see soon. He's scarred. He's scarred because love has scars. And yet, he is keeping that revelation from them. Interesting thought. Just plug it back there. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing? He, play, he plays, has God ever played dumb with you and asked you a question? I, you know he knows the answer? <laughs> okay, well, he does that here. He goes, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you're walking along? They stop short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened in the last few days. Like, where have you been? Are you brain dead? You know, it's like, imagine saying that to God, the resurrected Christ. Like, where have you been, God? Don't you know anything? Verse 19, what things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. They said he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. They crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of the followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body's missing, and they have seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of the men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe. All the prophets, they wrote the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses, the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. But this time they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. 
They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road, explaining the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them and who said, the Lord has risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were about to tell it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. The whole group was startled, frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's truly me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you can see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief. Filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms that must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it's written long ago the Messiah would suffer and die, raised from the dead, and on the third day. It was also written that the message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is the forgiveness of sins for all who repent, and you are my witnesses to all these things. And now I will send you the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But you need to stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from in heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands towards heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy, and they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. You see a few experiences along the way here? I'm wondering how he might get frustrated at times with us. Now, they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. He certainly opened their eyes to have the revelation of the Scriptures, but it's a, we know based from the book of Acts chapter 1, he was 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension. 40 days... Well, let's turn here. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. You may remember this when we studied it, but let's just re-verify. Because why did he show them over and over again? Why did he take 40 days? He wanted to make sure they got it. <laughs> In fact, verse 3 of Acts 1, he says, To whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. New Living Translation says, During the 40 days after the crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways 
that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Of course, he then tells them that you're going to get baptized with fire, not many days hence, from the Holy Spirit and fire. And so, but I have to think, if go back to, to Luke 24, when we, there's a reason Jesus gets frustrated. And I wonder at times how, I know he's a God of great compassion and long-suffering, but I'd like us to get to a place where we walk in a new level of faith and belief without doubt, without wondering, because we have so many promises and experiences. So let's, let's look at the top of the handout, the experience that demands a verdict. How many coincidences, I ask a lot of questions here, how many coincidences, quote unquote, does it take to convince a skeptic? How many doubts make it unbelief? Why does God withhold direct revelation of his word? Do you ever wonder? When he just, he got to a place where it was so critical, he had to show up and walks in the wall, says, here, look, handle me, 40 days, stays with him, proves it over and over, I'm alive. He shows, we see this in 1 Corinthians 15, he shows himself to the apostles, he shows himself to James, and then he shows himself to over 500 eyewitnesses at one moment. There was absolutely, in the early church, that first generation church, there was no question he was the resurrected Christ. You could go sit and say, I saw him, I talked with him, I ate with him. Don't tell me, I saw the scars on the hands, I saw the, the marks on his feet, I saw them. Don't t you can't tell me. You cannot talk a man or a woman who's experienced God out of their experiences. When my wife and I saw a crippled, demonized woman in Brazil get out of a wheelchair and her leg go straight by the name of Jesus, you can't ever tell me that didn't happen. I got eyewitnesses from the church in my, we saw it with our own eyes. Well, but maybe what you, don't, don't, I'm sorry. Go talk to the hand. You're not going to convince me. This is that place, experience demands a verdict. And if we'll stop back and you think of all the experiences in your life, was that God? Did that happen? How did I get out of that accident? Why did my child not drown? What was it there? What was that? Come on. These are the experiences. But Jesus is, he's frustrated. Look at verse 19 of Luke 24. They, he, he, Jesus said, what things happened? The things happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. That's the New Living, the literal translation. They, they, they didn't call him the God from Nazareth, even though he preached that over and over again. He was a prophet. He did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God, and, but he was killed. We had hoped he was more. We'd hoped he was the Messiah. Can you imagine sitting there talking to the Messiah, and he's like going, Papa, what am I going to do with these folks? I'm, I'm thinking that must have, I would have had that going through my mind. That's why he calls them fools. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, you foolish people, why do you find it so hard to believe? He could say that to me. He could say that to us. When he pulls back the veil. Picking up in that second paragraph in the handout says, it has been said that an experience with God can create an appetite for more. Anybody have that experience? Amen. 
something happens like, whoa. I believe this to be true, but I'm going gonna, gonna to put a caveat on it for those who stay hungry. Stay hungry. Well, how do you stay? How do I make myself hungry? You ask God for it. Because I've also witnessed this, and as a pastor, this is probably one of the, one of the most saddest things that I've seen occur. I've also witnessed those who were once very much on fire for God grow terribly cold and even turn away from the things of God. Hebrew writer warns of it. How is it that once a person has tasted of the things of God and the revelation of God, that they could be forgiven again if they crucify the Son of God afresh? That's a scary scripture. Almost as if those who have had these wild and wonderful experiences, I've been there and done that. And that experience does not translate into a transforming growth or hunger for God for more. This is deeply concerning to me. Once to those who were on fire, how is it? Well, I believe Scripture tells us some of the reasons. Let's look at this. Turn with me. Turn back to the left. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. And again, another familiar Scripture here. In Luke 8, the, the parable of the four soils. I won't read the whole thing, but let's pick up the one in verse 14. Luke 8, 14 speaks of the seed, which is the word of God that falls in four different places. And he says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. So they never grow into maturity. These seeds, they fell on ground, good soil that also represents honest, good-hearted people who hear the word, cling to it, and patiently endure to produce a huge harvest. Now, there's two different categories there. There are those who are going to hear this word, they're going to experience God, they're going to be all excited, and then cares, riches, and pleasures. And then there's those who's, who've got this fertile soil seeded in their hearts and they're honest, good-hearted. They hear, they cling, and they patiently produce. There's a good word right there, Lord. This is number two, the battle. And if you look at, there, there, there's got to be more. I've titled this subtitle, There Must Be More. The seven-mile journey where the experience meets the reality of the resurrected Christ. This is our own walks to Emmaus. Your seven-mile journey in the resurrected Christ who's revealing himself, walking along with you. He's carrying the scarred hands, but I just can't see it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a place to see it yet, Lord. But I'm walking, and yet my heart is burning within me because there's truth being brought forth from this experience of walking with you. But I, but I can't see it, and, and my expectations haven't been met. I saw you as the prophet. I saw you as the teacher. I saw you as the miracle worker. But I thought you were more. But you didn't meet my expectations. See, the things that happened, they killed you. They didn't, you didn't rise up as the ruler that I thought would, would give me everything I wanted the way I thought it would happen. So therefore, you must not be that Messiah. That's scary, isn't, isn't that sobering? It's like 
wait a minute, God, you've given all these experiences. You gave us the word. You preached it. You revealed it. You told it in the Old Testament. You told it in the New Testament. We walked with you. We burned with you. We heard with you. We ate with you. These were disciples. These were followers. The world out there, they're so lost, they have no idea. How do we cling? How do we patiently produce a harvest? How do we cultivate the place of the heart? You gotta, rena- you gotta take authority over the negative thinking. You gotta stop all those who come and tell you this. Like even Job's wife, Job, why don't, why, why don't you curse God and die? Because you're sitting there in boils. If you think you're a blessed man, you're not a blessed man. God is just cursing. And of course, his friends come, and they're a lot of help too. What'd you do wrong, Job, sitting there in your boils? And his wife is saying, you're so ugly. Why don't you just curse God and die? That's my interpretation. But Job hangs on to this and says, if he never comes, I will see him. My Redeemer lives. Whether he ever sets me free, I will not change what I know to be true about the goodness of God. We're doing this study on the goodness of God. It'll mess with you. Number three, why does God hide the revelation? Why does he only hide it and show it to the humble, hungry ones? What is that? And yet there's a lot of scripture. Let's turn, turn to the right, just a couple of pages. Let's go to Luke 10. They come back from their mission trip. The 72 come back from their mission trip, and they're like blown away that using the name of God, demons respond. Jesus' response there is, I know, I saw Satan falling from the sky. They didn't really have a clue why he had, they had such power in his name. And he says, I've given you full of power over the enemy. that He can't hurt you and injure you. That's in Luke 10, verse 18. But here's where I want to pick up on verse 21. At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, he says, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Thank you for hiding these things from those who think of themselves wise and clever, and you reveal them to the childlike. Father, it pleased you to do it this way. King James says it this way, O Father, Lord of heaven, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent. They think they're really wise and prudent. Well, it's just not wise. I'm going to mess with you a little bit. It's just not wise to go down to Creekwood. It's not really wise to go to the jail in the block, cell block. It's not really wise to go on a mission trip. They're killing Christians overseas. That's prudent. Well, I'm just messing a little bit. This is a place where if God tells you to do it, he reveals things to the babes and to those who don't think of themselves so wise and prudent. I don't know why he's telling us to do this. I just tell you, I believe we heard and we're going to go and we're going to do this thing on this mission trip. These guys had not been to seminary. They had been, in fact, if you, if you look at how the disciples, the 12, had been sent out in the chapter before and they come back with all sorts of mess. Then he says, well, let's send out even a more inexperienced crowd. Let's send them out two by two. We'll send 72 out and send them out. They don't have any degrees. Just go. You don't need a coat. You don't need anything. Just go there. Preach the kingdom. If they receive you, bless them. If not, shake the dust off and move on. Preach the kingdom. Heal the sick. Raise the dead and cast out demons. Yes, sir. We got it. And there off they go. 
And they come back and says, oh my goodness, wow, we use your names and the demons like fall and tremble. He says, I know, I know you're getting it. Father, they're getting it. The power of his name. I don't know much, but I know this, right? Jesus' name. Number four, what if what we think is sufficient revelation is not? What if what we think is sufficient revelation, it is not? He's a prophet. He's a miracle worker. He's a teacher. But he didn't meet my expectations. He didn't meet my prayer requests. He didn't do it the way I thought. So therefore, he can't be all that. No wonder Jesus calls them a bunch of fools. If he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he tells us in Proverbs 3, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your understanding, but in every way acknowledge him, he'll direct your pathway. So I'll go back to the premise I asked you. How many of you are doing exactly what you asked the Lord to do? He did it that way. You married the right person. You got the number of kids you want. You got everything you want. The house you dreamed about. Everything's just the way you ever planned it. I would say it's probably none of those things, at least not in that full. And so, but you're okay, right? In fact, the one that might have been on my list, of my bucket list to be, I'm going to work for GE, I'm going to be a GE lifer. I'm, to, I'm so glad he got me off that path. Man, it was like, how'd that happen? I don't have a clue. I don't know. All I know is I'm so glad he did. And it's like, he reveals this part. You say yes to that, but what about this? He reveals that part. Yes, God. Yes, yes, yes. And pretty soon, you're on a journey, and he's mapped it out for you. And even when it gets messed up by bad choices, he still makes it all work together for good because he loves us, right? Number five, how many testimonies of the resurrected Christ will overcome fear and doubt? How many times do we have to have somebody come in, share their testimony of the amazing grace of God, and not still fully get the revelation that I can ride on that. I'm speaking to myself just as well as you. We're in this place where God, we have been given the word. It's printed. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We're, in a, we're a generation so much more blessed than even our forefathers. We're in this place of the revelations of God. There are more Christians alive in the earth today than there are in heaven. When God is moving in the earth, yeah, there's, stuff, there's lots of stuff going on. All more opportunity for experiences of God. But what happens when it really doesn't go the way I want it to go? Can you still stay in love with him and trust I don't see it here? This is that mystery. I don't understand this, but it doesn't change the fact that you're good. Number six, the evidence and experiences are overwhelmingly sufficient for us to dream exceedingly of what the possibles things, the impossibilities that are possible with God. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Turn with me to Mark 9. We'll land this thing. Just go a little bit to the left and find Mark chapter 9. Jesus makes that statement in chapter 9 of 23. A father who had a demonized child tried to get the, his nine other disciples Talk about experiences, right? This is one of them. <laughs> He's got Peter, James, and John. He's got the inner three up on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
and the father appears to Jesus. Jesus is glowing. Abraham and Moses are there. If you ever think, wow, you know, and, and Peter wants to build you know, altars there, and he tells him, don't tell anybody about it. Can you imagine Peter trying to keep his mouth shut? I wonder about around the fire with the other night. Yeah, you should have seen what we saw. Right? I'm sure that it's like, don't tell anybody, Peter or James, John, don't, don't say anything right now until later. <laughs> Whew. Peter does write about it in, in uh, back, back of the book. He says, I was there on the mount. After the resurrection, he writes about it just before he is actually martyred. And so we see here, the evidence that's overwhelming. And he says, the father comes and the nine had tried to cast a demon out of the young boy. He had given them the power and authority to do everything he had told them to do. Then he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes back and all the commotion there, the, the nine disciples were unable to cast the demon out. And Jesus says, what's all the commotion? Verse 19, Jesus said to them, you faithless and Faithless people, how long must I put up with you? Is another encouraging frustration of poor Jesus. How long do I have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. King James says it this way. He answers them, you faithless generation. How long shall I be with you and how long shall I suffer with you? Bring him to me. See, this is this other thing. He gave them and equipped them for power and authority to cast out demons, and they don't do it because he says your faith level is not there. You don't really know that I'm in you. I'm with you. I'm my name. And so he gets frustrated by, bring the boy to me. And, of course, now the father interchanges with him, but I know this is for us. He asks the father in verse 21, how long is this torment, this throwing the boy to the ground and foaming at the mouth and all the torment Jesus asked the boy's father, he says, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, tries to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. <laughs> Wrong thing to say to the Messiah. Verse 23, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asks, anything is possible if a person believes. Father gives a really great request here. Well, then, he cries out, I do believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? I want to believe, but I can't. That's a really good prayer. I, I know you've done this. I believe who you, they say you are, but help me now with my unbelief, O oh God. When Jesus saw that, he cast the demon out. And later back, the after action report, they asked him, Jesus asked by the disciples, why couldn't we do it? He said, this kind goes out by prayer and fasting. Some to the two of the gospels say by prayer. What's the point? There's this place where, Lord, we have enough evidence to believe that you can do what is possible, even if I see it to be impossible. Let's finish with Ephesians chapter 3. It's amazing, 20 verses here. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus that's in revival. Ephesians 3, 1. Paul says, when I think of all this, he's talked about the revelation. This is the, the one uh, new man. It's the combined combination of both Jew and Gentile. When he 
takes those first two chapters and speaks of the amazing revelation that will come from the one new man in verse 215. He's now made his church one. He goes on and Paul says, when I think of all this, verse 1 of chapter 3, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending this grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. See, Paul had missed it when he was Saul. But the revelation of Christ on the road to Damascus, the mysterious plan was revealed. As you read, verse 4, what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it in the previous generations, but now his, by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Well, that ought to make you happy. Both are part of the same body and enjoy the promise of the blessings because they belong to Christ. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading the good news. Though I am the least of all of God's people, wow, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about it in endless treasures available to them in Christ. Endless treasures. King James says, unsearchable riches of Christ. Just Selah on that for a moment. The unsearchable riches, the immeasurable blessings of God. Does that sound like you got a really full access to a whole bunch of stuff that is like unbelievably there? He goes on and says, the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain every one of this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in all of its rich varieties. Is the body of Christ pretty, pretty varietied? <laughs> yeah. He decided he'd like to use the church in all of its stuff. Why? Because he wants to mess the rulers and authorities of darkness in heavenly places. He goes, I'll use these, these, uh, these human characters with all their mess and all their flaws and all their, I'll, I'll, you watch what I do with this. I'm going to mess with you demons. I love that. It's like, yeah, show us. This was the eternal plan. He carried it out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into his God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm so, he's in prison. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. And when I think of all this, Paul says, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray from his glorious, unlimited resources. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make himself home in your hearts as you trust in him. 
Your roots will go down deep into the soil of God's love. He'll keep you strong that you may have the power to understand, as all people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience, there it is, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it's so great, you're not going to be able to understand it fully. But he'll make you complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from him. Now all glory to God who's able to accomplish it and do infinitely more than we'd even ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that good? Come on, Jesus. Well, let's, let's stand. We'll put on some light music. I'm going to ask the ministry team if you'll come. The takeaway on this one is we believe. We believe in the salvation and the hope in Christ. We believe in his healing, deliverance, and freedom in Christ. We believe his word, his promise, his care, his provision, his protection. We believe he's coming back soon for a spotless bride because of what he has done. So this morning, Lord, we just thank you. I ask that you, let me read this to you. In, in the book of Jude, I love the way Jude writes this. Jesus' half-brother in that small little book of Jude writes this. And I release this over the body of Christ right now. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory and majesty and power and authority are his before all time and in the present and in the time to come. Amen.